0: This week on the VergeCast, we go over some Apple rumors. We go deep on the Mac Pro and Pro Display XDR reviews. We talk about all the folding phone concepts from TCL. And we spend more time than you think talking about obscure Samsung television features. That's it. Coming up on the VergeCast now.
1: Support for the podcast comes from Canva. Presenting to a group of your colleagues can be nerve-wracking. So why not ease some of that anxiety with Canva? Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and that's it, you're done. It's a serious time saver. Whatever you do for work, Canva Presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva Presentations at canva.com, designed for work.
2: This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business It's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners, too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today.
0: Hello and welcome to the VergeCast, the flagship podcast of multi-core performance. Mm. Does that sound pretty good? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm Neelai. I'm your friend. Dieter Bone is here. I'm also your friend. Oh, that's
3: good. Usually you're vaguely threatening. Well, it depends what kind of friends
0: you have. Fair. Paul Miller is here. <laughs> Hello. Uh, how's it going, Paul? It's going, it's going pretty good, actually. All three of us are in different places today. Mm-hmm. I've gotten really spoiled because Paul and I have been in the same room the past few shows. I
4: feel like it's we've really grown closer.
0: Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, I pay more attention to you and your, <laughs> like your, your reactions to things. Okay. <laughs> but now I've got like, to like really listen. Okay, yeah, yeah. So there's a lot going on this week. Uh, we got some reviews to talk about. we got some floppy phones to talk about. Um, <laughs> it's just a fact. But I want to just start by pointing to some things. First of all, the big story in the world is obviously the coronavirus, which is having an effect on lots of people. Lots of tech events are being canceled. Google I.O., uh, it was canceled. Mm-hmm. People are pulling out of South by Southwest left and right. We are not going to talk about it in this show. Verge deputy editor, Liz Lapato, Verge health reporter, Nicole Wetzman. Uh, they sat down with me for an hour. That's coming out on Tuesday. So all the coronavirus stuff you need to know and wait for that interview on Tuesday. It was really good. We actually found out Google IO was being canceled while we were taping it. Like that's how much news is happening. Oh, wow. Uh, so that's really good. Nicole is all over that story. Verge science team, all over that story. Check out the site. If you want to know what's going on from that perspective, But Nicole went through the sort of health side of it, and Liz and I talked about uh, the sort of business supply chain aspect of it. So that's coming on Tuesday. Wait for that. We're not going to talk about it today. Um, And then obviously the election is off and running. It was Super Tuesday. Elizabeth Warren dropped out of the Democratic primary today, uh, right before I taped the show. On this past Tuesday, McKenna Kelly and I talked for an hour about the policy issues of the election. Our big election guide went out uh, on Tuesday. And then today, just before we started taping, uh, the Earn It Act hit, which is sort of wraps all these themes up together. It's a bill that proposes to take away Section 230 unless companies uh, provide an encryption backdoor. So you just take the two big issues and just jam them together. What is earn it an acronym for? Eliminating Abusive and Rampant Neglective Interactive Technologies Act. Earn it. Come on. Yeah. Uh, there was another act today called the Kids Act, which would ban all influencer marketing on platforms aimed at children, uh, specifically Ooh. called out unboxing videos. Wait, I love this idea. This is great. Really something. Uh, McKenna's going to cover that one a little bit later. So the the, the issues are here. The bills are being proposed. You know, that the sort of Congress is about to go into election, re-election campaign mode again. So this is like the last window. So we're covering all this stuff. Listen to that conversation with McKenna if you're interested in it. We're we're deep on it. Um, but we just did an hour on it. And I don't want to burn our time on this show uh, talking about that because McKenna was great. It's all on the site. Check mm-hmm. it out. That said, we did do uh, something a little related to politics this week. You know, you run a publication. It's an election year. Everyone's doing polls. Yeah. I wanted I wanted to do a poll. <laughs> yeah, I felt left out. Uh, so we did our tech survey again. Second annual, right? Yeah, it just took two and a half years. Yeah. The second <laughs> annual. So we did the first one in 2017. Uh, we did another one this year. We will probably do it again now that we kind of figured it out how to do it. Uh, we'll probably do it again closer to the actual election. I think that'll be really interesting to see how all of this stuff affects attitudes in the course of this year, because it's always Mm -hmm. being talked about so much. But I just want to call out some really interesting results from the survey. So we, we went to our revenue team, which has a market research division. We asked them to help us do the survey. So it's a group of people with like, like decades of experience in market research, did a nationally representative survey of 1,123 people. Uh, it has like a 95% 95% level of confidence, 3% margin of error. There's some details on how that works. We're we're gonna they're they're all in an offsite this week, so we didn't we didn't publish that part of it. We're gonna get those details from them and publish them because I know people are curious. But rest assured, we feel very confident in the folks who did the survey for us. Just some top lines: 56% of the people. Again, nationally representing the United States population so the government should break up tech companies that control too much of the economy. Yep. 72% of people said Facebook has too much power. This one's really interesting. 51% of people said Google and YouTube should be split up into separate companies. At the same time, only 40-some percent of people even knew that Google owned YouTube. How
3: can one okay. of those
4: numbers be larger than the other number?
0: I don't know. <laughs>
3: Well, I mean, I imagine, like, if you embedded in asking the question, should they break up Google and YouTube, is the, like, dawning awareness that, oh, shit, they're they're the same
0: company. (laughs) Yeah, so the share of people who knows Google owns YouTube uh, is 47%. Mm -hmm. Uh, The share of people who knew that Facebook owns Instagram is only 38%, that Facebook owns WhatsApp is 29%, and Amazon owns Twitch is 12%. So it's a such a good reminder for me because we're just so deeply in it, right? My yeah. assumption is that everybody knows what we're talking about all the time. And I, I, I would say maybe 100% of the people I talk to professionally are aware that Google owns YouTube. Yeah. So it's just like a fair bet. Uh, so this number, where less than 50% of this nationally representative uh, sample. Less than 50% of them knows that Google owns YouTube. It's like, oh, we're not even on the same planet. Yep. Hmm. Like we're not, we haven't even started from the same under like that's not like an alternative facts situation, right? It's not like you can spin it one way and I can, pr- like, I Wikipedia some other stuff, like, either they own it or they don't.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, yeah, they, they don't know. And I think that's it's so interesting to see the heat on our side of the conversation about what I mean. We talk about it every week how should these companies be run? Do they have too much power? What is moderate, blah blah blah. And we're not even at the same place of, do you even know that Google is in charge of this? Yeah. Do you think Google's... And I think that is actually great on balance for Google and Facebook, because whatever happens on those platforms doesn't redound to them and their reputations. Yeah. And I think they kind of like it that way. The other incredibly fascinating
3: thing to me, uh, having, you know, in like the, the the bubble that I am often in, is looking at the favorable, unfavorable for different companies. So Apple has a favorability rating of 81%. Uh, Google is 90 and Amazon's 91, just like much more beloved than Apple, which is surprising. And then when you look at uh, like how does it impact society, Apple has got like 62 percent positive and 3 percent negative. Google's like 72 percent positive and 4 percent negative. There are more people that think Google's had a positive impact on society than think Apple. So like to me, what that says is, I don't know, it it makes me – hear apples talk about privacy in a different tenor you know like it's they're not it's not them in defending a lead and um uh, making making you know everybody else they're they're actually like trying to play catch up in people's feelings about whether or not they're helping society in some way
0: yeah i it, i think it I, and I agree with you i think it also we have talked about this like my iphone which is very expensive and i bought it yep is a window to Google's services right right like it's it, Constantly, I'm using it to use Google's services. Uh, when I buy things, I'm often using my iPhone to interact with Amazon. So you have this constant relationship with these service providers that are very, very good at what they do. Mm-hmm. Right? You like want something to show up at your house tomorrow. You push a button, Amazon exploits a number of people along the way, and then the thing shows up at your house. Mm-hmm. You want the answer to some question. You ask Google. Something happens, Google shows you the answer. You hope it's credible, but it's doing it. It does the work over and over again. Uh, The third one on that list, by the way, is YouTube at 90% favorability. Yeah. Right? And those are just service relationships. Like, I need something, you provide it to me. And that is self-reinforcing in a way that, yep, you bought a beautiful computer from Apple, you bought a beautiful phone, it takes great pictures. You don't have that ongoing service relationship. It's just a thing that you bought. And I think that is, Apple cannot push that privacy part of it forward because it's not really a service. They're protecting you from yourself. Right. Or they're protecting you from bad actors, but they can't, they can't insert that into all these constant ongoing interactions. And I think that that's one of the reasons I think they want a services business is to get that thing. And I do think all of their posturing is why they're, they're unfavorable is high because some people are just turned off by it. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. I, I, to me, I think that you should go look at this. Like Microsoft ranks really high. People love Microsoft. Casey wrote a whole piece about it. It's like you would not expect Microsoft to come in above Apple on a favorable, unfavorable ranking. This is the second time it did that. It did it in 2017, too, Um and it's because Microsoft has faded in the background, Casey described it as a cloud services provider that makes video games as a hobby. Yeah, that's what it is, and that means people trust it. They see it in the background. They see Satya Nadella. He's out there. Casey described him as kindly. It's like a pretty good <laughs> phrase. Um, and they're, you know, they're just talking about making you more productive and doing a good job at work. And like, we're going to be everywhere. And also, here's the Xbox. And they're yeah. not, they're not actively in the middle of this conversation about like how expensive should your phone be or. Um, Should we step in the way of your decision to buy a book on the Kindle app because we want to regulate? Like they're just not in any of those conversations. So just by being sort of
4: neutral. Like of all these companies, Microsoft seems like they use their existing influence to get you to do other things the least. Obviously, they still do it. But, you know, like, you, Google feels a deep lack in its soul of a social network. So, like, well, what if YouTube was kind of like a social network? We'll put, we'll put stories on YouTube, you know, like, so they're always kind of, like, pushing in that direction. Facebook uh, is, is disliked and mistrusted. So, you know, it pushes Instagram uh, sort of stuff. But, like, Microsoft just has this sort of palette of things that, yeah, are somehow inoffensive. Like, they're not aggressive in some way. I, I still I still have a deep dislike for for. The, I know it's maybe I shouldn't hold a grudge, but I, they really tried to kill Linux, and it pisses me off. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean like I use GitHub all day, every day, and it and it, it's truly been like a gift to the world. Obviously, they didn't build it, but they bought it, and then they didn't screw it up so far. I mean that's the best you can ask for with any acquisition. <laughs> well, no, but like you know that's the thing. It's like Google. I would try to integrate YouTube with Google Plus or something like that. You know, the, the, the only flavor of Microsoft that I can find on GitHub is that below uh, AWS cloud stuff is, is a button for Azure. Like deploy to AWS comes first and then deploy to Azure is the second button. Like that's you know a- that they have a meeting about that every week, right? <laughs> like a bunch of VPs at
0: Microsoft fight about that every every week for like two hours. Like, yeah. when are we going to put Azure above AWS
4: in this drop down? Sure, but it's, it's their inaction is my is is my blessing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how it goes over time. By the way, Paul, to your point um, about Google and the social network thing, uh, we also asked people who was better at what, uh,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: Google beat Facebook at every single one of these questions. Providing useful services, help you manage your life. Uh, Giving control over the display of your geographic location, uh, giving control over info provided to other businesses, communicating its privacy policy. Google won all of those um, versus Facebook, you know, uh, providing useful services. 83% of people thought Google is better than that. And Facebook communicating its privacy policy was 6436, right? So along a spread, but Google's like handily ahead in all Mm -hmm. of them, except for helping you connect with friends and family. Uh, Google only came in at 21% and, and, uh, Facebook is at 79. So like there's one thing, one clear utility for Facebook that everyone sort of agrees on, but in terms of who's communicating with me better, who's more useful, Google's ahead. And I think that, that usefulness argument, that utility argument for Google and Amazon, as long as it remains high, they actually have a pretty big moat against all this regulation stuff that we're talking about Yeah, because people love them. Mm-hmm. And they love them because they're useful and I think all they have to do is keep saying we're really useful people really like the services We provide
3: I mean Google's like entire line for the past two years has been calls helpful. We're helpful We help you we're helpful. Yeah, uh, what do you think Google's 21% connect you with friends? Uh, number would be if they hadn't killed off g chat
0: just curious <laughs> Yeah, that's 21% of people who understand its messaging strategy <laughs> that's a, They're all Google employees Uh I don't know, man. I, the Google messaging, like they canceled I.O. Like, and we're not going to find out about any messaging product this year. Yeah. Well, no, but we're all going to get to use Hangouts and whatever to watch their presentations. I think Teams is free now. Microsoft made Teams free. That's mm-hmm. the year of remote work, everybody. Anyway, that's the survey. It's, uh, it's on the website. Go check it out. I, I think the answers are really interesting. I know some people had some questions about the methodology. Um, we did not anticipate that people would want to go deep I don't know why we didn't it's who's our audience of course we should have anticipated it Um, (laughs) but our friends who helped us do it on our revenue side they were just at their conference this weekend so they're they're coming back we're going to pull out some of those answers and we'll make sure we update them probably in the interface because that's the audience that's been asking for it so subscribe to Casey's newsletter. We'll Hmm. give you some more detail about the methodology but rest assured it was rigorously done we just didn't publish all those details because it's only the second time we've done it, and I didn't know that people would want to see it. Next time, we'll we'll make sure we do it all front. And if you have ideas for things we should be asking, let me know. I'm interested. Okay. That said, uh, some Apple rumors to go through. Dieter, you want to go through
3: Well, there is supposedly supposed to be an event uh, in March. Um, The number of things that could be on in that event is starting to get a little bit out of control, like possibly a new iPad Pro. Uh, possibly AirTag, maybe a new Apple TV. We're still waiting for a new 13-inch MacBook with a better keyboard. The big one, obviously, is the what everyone is sort of coalescing around, calling the iPhone 9, uh, which is like the iPhone SE2, or maybe it's like the iPhone 7, but more modernized. Whatever, however you want to think of it there's, I mean, there's other stuff, over-ear headphones from Apple. It could be any number of things. And so typically when you're in the run-up to an Apple event, there's a bunch of rumors that, like, of what's coming and you can start to see some stuff in code. And one of the things that has sort of popped out is that it seems pretty obvious that sometime this year Apple is going to make a keyboard that has a uh, trackpad on it. Uh, the information has, uh, has this story uh, from, I think it was earlier last week. And I'm currently using a tablet that has a trackpad on it. It's a Surface. And I am positive on this development. But I'm a little bit worried about it. Why are you worried about it? Because there's been a whole lot of discussion about whether or not the iPads interface makes any sense, if it's too complicated, if it's actually useful, blah 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 blah. blah. I've talked about this ad nauseum. Uh, where I land is that it uh, is very complex, uh, not intuitive at all, but it can be useful once you learn it. Uh, I think that Apple could simplify some things, and it really needs to make it more learnable and discoverable. But that if they just put a trackpad on it and be and be like, you know what, whatever, Windows. Um, then that's going to be a mess because like I'm currently using a surface here. It has a tablet mode and a window mode that are distinct but also kind of overlapping and sometimes weird. And uh, it's bad. Like it's not it doesn't feel cohesive. And so if Apple's gonna let you manipulate Windows with a trackpad or whatever the iPad's version of Windows are with a trackpad, uh, they better be really, really, really careful how they do that because the whole thing is built on the idea that you're directly interacting with stuff with your finger. And so if you add an abstract layer of input, uh, you've got to do it right. And they've, we've already seen them do it wrong with the keyboard itself. The keyboard is one level removed from a touchscreen. and you just never really know if you've got a uh, keyboard focus on the app you're using. Like, you you just got to start typing and see what happens.
4: Does a trackpad
3: imply Windows, though? No, it doesn't imply Windows, but w- what what does a trackpad do? It's for like, clicking. What do you get? You you, click. It's for clicking on things. It's for scrolling, precise controls, and text text manipulation.
0: No, I wait, I, I, there's one thing it gets you that is critically important. You get to keep your hands down. Right. Mm. And I, I think that's like, Apple's religion with a touchscreen on a Mac is you don't want to move your hands. Mm-hmm. I don't know that anybody buys it anymore. I do not. Right. Like their whole gorilla arms thing. Like wh- wh- whatever they called it? Um, your arms are going to get fatigued by lifting them two inches to jab at the screen. But that is the the basis of their ideology there, right? Is mm-hmm. keep your hands down here. The mouse is best because the Mac is built around precise controls. You don't want to touch that screen anyway. It follows to me that the reason they're putting – like my iPad Pro, I never use it in its tablet configuration. Really? I never flip the keyboard all the way around and just, like, hold it and swipe around. It is always basically a laptop.
4: Hmm. The trick is you rip that keyboard off and you go full freedom. The, the, the lightweight – I don't know. It feels great. But I, I see how what you're saying in the sense that it's not very productive.
0: No, it's fine. Like I, I buy it. But I think that was the heart of the whole, like – Consumption versus productivity argument with the iPad right. to begin with is if you're produ- if you're being productive, it stands to reason that you need to type. If you need to type, you need a keyboard. Now we've just made a surface. Now we might as well go all the way and not make you move your hands.
3: Mm. Right, but like how are you how are you going to manipulate the window? How are they going to get you to not have to touch the screen in order to bring slide over over or deal with split screen or you know have any multi window interaction whatsoever?
4: Four finger gestures. <laughs>
3: I mean,
0: probably, yeah. A menu bar, maybe. Little thought about a menu bar, like a dock that appears at the bottom of the screen. Um, They could make every window could have three little buttons at the top that uh, close it and minimize it and maximize it. Like, there's a lot of solutions out here for making Windows. go. I just
4: think this is so interesting because there's been a lot of rumors for a while that Apple will make an R Mac. You know, yep. And so what's the difference between an ARM iPad with a touchpad and an ARM Mac? Um, Battery life? A bunch of apps that aren't optimized for
0: multi-core <laughs> processors. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't think there is one. That's kind of what I'm getting at. Like They might as well just have the iPad turn slowly into the ARM Mac that everybody wants and say, we're actually going to emulate your lower stakes productivity applications on ARM. They'll be slower, but fine, this is what you wanted. All the developers are here anyway. Instead of being like, hey, developers, make bad Catalyst versions of your iPad apps for a Mac audience that is not receptive to them.
3: I so. think they're not going to give up on that as quickly as we want them to.
4: Like,
3: what, what, I'm not
0: saying I want them to. I just uh, – you see the two
3: paths. Give up yeah. on
4: which, which – Catalyst.
3: Which, the, 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 like, Tim Cook is bringing up Catalyst on like investor calls to like Wall Street
4: bros. I think Apple thinks of iPad and Mac app development as, as – as Slowly morphing into the same thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, I, I I will just say the more I try to use my iPad Pro
0: is the computer, the problems with it are not I need a trackpad, right? The problems are I have to invent some wacky solution that was completely undiscoverable, but there in order to do something very simple. Yep. I think the one we were all tweeting about like two weeks ago was I want to upload a bunch of photos from Lightroom to to Google Photos. And the way to do that is to export them from Lightroom into files and then do a, and then open Google Photos on the web because the Google Photos app doesn't have a native importer and then like hold one with one finger and then like stack them up like none yeah. of this makes any sense and you can yeah. do it it is possible to do but there's no way that anybody figured it out unless you have a relatively large Twitter audience and you start complaining, <laughs> and then like you crowdsource this. And a million people tell you you're an idiot for not knowing how to do it. Yeah, that's yeah. actually the best part of the iPad for me is routinely dozens of people tell me I'm an idiot for not knowing some extremely <laughs> unintuitive thing. It helps stay humble. Yeah. Meanwhile, Google Photos on Android, you could just
3: tell it to watch whatever folders you want it to, and it'll just automatically import anything that shows up in those folders.
0: The end. Right. So there's that. There's like the capability of the applications when Apple allows you or doesn't allow you to do. Fine. Yeah. Then there's just an ergonomics problem, which is that bridge case, uh, B R Y, yeah, the yeah, bri- you know what I'm talking about, is like a better solution for the iPad keyboard cover and it just makes it a laptop. Mm-hmm. Like the iPad Pro keyboard case, especially if you have the 11 because the angles are different on the 11 and the 13. Um, I have the 11, the angles are just like bad, like the thing is too vertical. Um, and it's like, I just want to. I just want this to be a laptop. I would love to use this as my laptop if it would just be in that form factor. And I think Apple's just getting there.
3: Yeah. I maintain that um, as much fun I made of it, the first smart keyboard was better because it felt more tablet-y when you had it folded up in the back. You could put it in an easel mode. You could put it in a like lay-down-on-the-table drawing mode, and it just felt more portable and tablet-y. This, and so... The new smart keyboard isn't so much of a better laptop that it's worth the trade-offs, losing all those other things that the old origami keyboard could do. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I'm not saying that like that's the problem, to be clear.
0: (laughs) But there's a part of me that thinks that old the older iPad Pro was an ergonom like far ergonomically, it was a little bit thinner. Mm. Right. The thing I was most excited about was like USB-C card readers. And yeah. that has just been an emotional journey, so maybe that's just <laughs> coloring all the rest of it. I can't say that having the new Pro, I am doing anything I was not doing with the old one. Yeah. Anyhow, uh, there is also some some actual laptop rumors right here. Right?
4: Yeah, I was going to say Apple could alleviate some of this pain of trying to make iPads useful Pro machines and just release modern <laughs> modern non sixteen inch laptops with good keyboards, but. I mean, with good keyboards is a thing. So uh, Ming-Chi Kuo, who is the
3: analyst who everybody trusts to have uh, information about what's coming out, uh, says that there's a bunch of like stuff coming this year, and top of the list is a 14.1-inch MacBook Pro. So in the same way the 15-inch MacBook Pro became a 16-inch because they got the bezels smaller, uh, we are expecting the 13-inch to become a 14.1-inch simply by making the bezels smaller. And it's supposed to have uh, mini-LED displays, which... Do we want to discuss mini-LED technology? Yes.
0: I do. I, I do. I, I, I I'm only here to talk about backlights. <laughs> uh, well, no, it's. I spent a lot of time thinking about backlights with the Pro Display XDR review, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But yeah. the basic story here is, like, Paul, you're a pixel density enthusiast of some renown. I, yes, sometimes time time. The new spec is backlight density. Ah. Mm. Right. I'm, I'm telling you, this is real. So if you think about a, a modern laptop, display it has leds along the edges it's edge lit Mm -hmm. so it can never go to true black because those leds just stay lit all the time so even the black areas look kind of gray tvs have dimming zones we will talk about this more at the display but they put leds behind the screen and in a grid that grid is
4: obviously less like the zones are bigger than the pixels on the screen so the zones turn off yeah i have a cheap vizio and it's the most obvious thing they're spinner is a it's a black screen with a spinner and there's like obviously four different LEDs that lights up. Yeah, it looks crazy. <laughs> it's, it's like a bub, bub, bub,
0: bub. Uh, so uh, mini LED is what if we shrink the backlights, the LEDs in the backlight super small so almost as small as the pixels and illuminate those along with the pixels that the display. Mm. Right, very smart. It can get you some black levels theoretically close to OLED. That is to differentiate from micro LED, which is very confusing, which is. A technology we've seen Samsung come out with it at CES and other places uh, where the LEDs are actually small and emissive themselves, and they're mm-hmm. the pixels of the display. That is a direct competitor to OLED. An OLED pixel is the light source and the color source. Is this QLED? No. No? That's a whole other kind of LED? Those uh, QLED was what Samsung invented so that the Q would look like an O. Uh, so you'd be yeah. confused <laughs> so about whatever you were buying <laughs> <in> OLED. <laughs> I mean, it stands for quantum dots, but they definitely named it QLED- So it would be as close as possible to OLED. The bottom
3: line here is Apple seems to not think that OLED is a great screen technology for um, 13 inches or 10 inches. So, like, there's rumors that they're going to move the iPads and this 14-inch Mac to mini-LEDs instead of just going to OLED, like... Um, some other laptop manufacturers have. Uh, there may be good reasons for that, um, and maybe they're going to have some really great uh, mini LED like quality. It's going to be look amazing. My feeling is that if moving to a mini LED display d- delays the release of a 14-inch MacBook with the right keyboard, a week, screw you! Just release one with the current <laughs> like <laughs> the current
0: technology. <laughs> Yeah, you know it's tough. I, I again, we we'll talk about this with the display review, but OLEDs are not great at every screen size, and they're not right. perfect. If you get up close to an OLED TV, you can see like the sort of right in between black and like very dark gray. Like they get confused all the time, right? Like they're not color accurate the way you want them to be. I think Apple has been very happy with what they've been able to do um, with the iPhone 10. Um, you know, that display is kind of here with the iPhone, um, 11, like they're, they've gotten in a place where they, they feel okay about the small OLEDs yep. right on their phones They're They feel obviously okay with the Apple watch. I think their assumption is no one is doing color correction work on their phone or their Apple watch. If you are doing color correction work on your Apple watch, I would like to talk to you. Yeah. Uh, I'm very curious about your workflow. Um, but I think Apple feels like it's not so accurate that they can deliver what they're traditionally known for delivering with their LCDs on their pro machines. Mm -hmm. And I think you see the other, we don't really evaluate laptops with OLED screens in this way, but if you, if you just like pay attention to the chatter around it, there are some real trade-offs with OLED in terms of accuracy all over the place. And TVs have these problems. You're just sitting far away from them and you're not expected to do that kind of work on a a television. So to do a laptop display, I think Apple is like, it's not there. Right. Right. It's not, we're not happy with the way it looks. We, we're going to stick with LCD because we can control it much more carefully. But you're right. If they just use the old display and the better keyboard, people would buy them. Yep. And I can't say I'm looking at a 16-inch MacBook Pro right now. Yep, it's a little bit bigger than my 15-inch MacBook Pro on the screen. Mm-hmm. But the, thing, the reason I'm using it is because it has a better processor and a, a keyboard that's not going to kill me.
3: Oh, wait, it's not the touch bar?
0: Yeah, the touch bar is obviously the most annoying technology. That I just keep, <laughs> I can't quit it. It's like a bad relationship. I'm like, I don't know what you're doing today. Why are you mad at me? I just want to pay more attention to you.
3: Can I just tell you, I live in a world where I I bounce between uh, Windows 10 uh, that's in dark mode, and uh, a Mac, 13-inch uh, MacBook Pro with a touch bar. But I don't use the Mac's touch bar stuff. I use this utility called POCK, P-O-C-K, that oh, basically that. puts your dock in the touch bar and then puts some, like, volume utilities and, like, you know, other information on the right-hand side. If you look at a MacBook running POCK, it looks exactly like almost identical to what a Windows taskbar looks like. <laughs> you got little icons on the left for all your running apps. You got some information and like controls on the right. And so like I just no matter what computer I'm using, I've just got a, a little strip of like information and icons in the same order all the time, and it's great. It's great.
4: So you're saying you're pro Touch Bar? No,
3: I'm saying that uh, the Touch the Touch Bar's only utility is to uh, replace the dock. Mm-hmm. Otherwise,
0: it's it's useless. Uh, I use POC for, by the way, POC is kind of, it's good. If you have a touch for Mac, download it, play with it. It's a little bit crashy. A little bit crashy. Sometimes your brightness goes to zero for no reason. (laughs) Yeah. POC. Um, fine. Uh, I use it for one reason only, which is my, the resting position of my hands on a keyboard, uh, is such that, uh, my like second and third finger, if I don't Mm -hmm. have POC installed, are right where the volume buttons are on the touch bar. Mm -hmm. And because they're touch, it's a touch screen and not buttons, uh, I'm just constantly turning the volume up and down on the computer because yeah. that's where my hands go. Because there's no value to the touch bar except to just drive me insane. So I have pocket <laughs> and I put. It's literally like a Wi-Fi. Indi- I just needed to put some information there. Hmm. So now I'm just constantly caressing a Wi-Fi indicator at all times on the Mac. Wow, Mac. it's great. I love it. <laughs> it's it's a real it's a metaphor for how I feel about computing. <laughs> all right, we're gonna take a break. We're gonna come back. We're gonna talk about these Mac Pro reviews.
1: Support for this podcast comes from Canva. They say Rome wasn't built in a day, but you know what you can get built in a day? Your creative deck. You can generate creative decks to use for all your important presentations with Canva. Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. You want a sales presentation for a tech company? Done. Create an employee onboarding plan? No problem. Just type it in and watch Canva work its magic you'll have generated options in seconds. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and you're done. It's a serious time saver at work. So whatever you do at your job, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck.
3: Neil I. Patel. We reviewed a Mac Pro. We're back. We're, we're back. You reviewed <laughs> It's like the tables have turned. Usually I'm the one that gets getting grilled. Mm. Oh, yeah, it's true. Mm. We are, you can do it that way.
0: Let's, you start.
3: No, no, no. Not, we were
0: going to include all of this, and now the joke is gone. Mm. No, we're going to include it anyway. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> You've been waiting to hear us talk about the Mac Pro, but instead we're doing two minutes of meta commentary on who <laughs> begins the second segment. There, there's like three meta stories that I want to tell about the Mac Pro review. But I, okay. I want to start with the sort of the most important one, uh, which is that we actually ended up buying this machine. So if you've been listening to us for the past few weeks, you've heard me say a thousand times: if a company doesn't do review units, my instinct is that the product is broken. Sure, that's it's just true. That's it's just my. That's my instinct. I would say that
3: this – isn't this one different because, like, you would – they need to configure the review unit differently for every single reviewer to the specific thing they ask for because there's no such thing as
0: one Mac Pro, right? Yep. Um, And also these are super expensive. (laughs) They are very – it would be very expensive. Also, they're not, like – they're still just Macs. Yeah. Right? Like, do I think Apple can produce one Macintosh? Yeah, I do. I'm not worried about that. Uh, They're not trying to make it fold in half. There's no new, like – Um, uh, waterproofing technology. It's just a Macintosh. It just happens to be uh, using very expensive parts. However,
3: Um, no, 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 but there are... Apple doesn't necessarily always get this right because I personally lived through that thermal throttling drama with that MacBook a year and a half ago or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. It should have been like a no problem sort of thing. Yeah, there's not enough heat dissipation, but okay. Uh, and they like they got it wrong and they had to like issue a, a, an
0: update in the middle of me reviewing it. So you can see how there's two sides to the story. Yeah. Right. Like here's a fancy new high performance Mac with a new cooling solution. We've lived through some problems with Macs before. The previous Mac Pro had a set of issues. Long mm-hmm. story short, we're, you know, we are reasonably friendly with Apple. Dieter and I are on the phone and we're like, give us your unit. And they're like, we're not doing that. And I said, well, we'll buy one then. And they said, Great. Let us know when you buy one and we'll expedite the order. And then we hung up and I was like, so I guess you have to buy a Mac. Pro. <laughs> <laughs> really, really bluffed myself into 17,000. I'm, I'm opening purchase. up my credit card, my credit <laughs> limit. He likes yeah. looking at his. I like, guess yeah, I'm doing this. I'm like texting my wife. I'm like, we're getting some credit card miles. Uh, <laughs> so, we, thankfully, we do work at a much bigger company than people think, and that's by design. I don't, we don't need to talk about like our corporation at all times. But BoxMe is a big company. 1,600 people work here. We make TV shows. So I went to our IT department, and I was like, hey, can we uh, can we buy a computer? And they're like, sure. And I was like, okay, it's a Mac Pro. And they're like, great, just send us the spec. And then in Slack, I was like, it's $17,000. And then <laughs> the typing indicator comes up and it goes away. So they're like, "Fine." Um, it turns out they 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 were gonna upgrade the computer in our, our color correction suite, which pretty lucky set of circumstances because we we're doing the display as well. And they 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 bought it for us. And this sort of started the whole process of reviewing the computer because now we were talking to Marillo uh, Marillo Silva in our studio, who's the director of post production technology, who specs all those machines designs or workflows. And then we were talking to him about it. And I was like, we should actually spread out like, yes, the verge makes a lot of stuff. Yes. We have our own art and photography and motion graphics, like team, but this company is doing a bunch of pro stuff. So, uh, Alex Deaconis, our video director, she somehow got everyone to come talk to her. Um, Estelle Caswell, who works on explained on Netflix, the Vox Mm -hmm. show. She also has earworm on YouTube, which is great. And you should, you should actually go watch the episode she was making, um, in our review about the Bach cello suite that it's like really hard to play. It's like just a great episode. So she was working on that, uh, Stevie Remsberg at New York magazine. She's their senior art director. She works on the culture pages in the print magazine. Uh, she came through, we'll talk about that in a second because people were, there some questions about how she was working. Yeah. Um, Noam Hassenfeld, who's a reporter-producer on Today Explained, came and, and made an episode of Today Explained. Um, and then Grayson, uh, the Verge's senior motion graphics person, um, this is actually really cool. So we gave him the Mac Pro, uh, and he was working on an illustration for a story that was going up the next day. And he said, I actually got to do something more ambitious because this computer could render it out to meet the deadline.
3: Oh, interesting. So he knew, that he knew it would render twice as fast, so he had, like— the time to get it done.
0: Yeah. So, like, we just wanted to give it to people and say, like, we're not bench. We, we did run a bunch of benchmarks, and we can talk about that. But the main thing was, we're going to give it to people who are doing their jobs. And they came back, and by and large, they're like, this isn't faster than my Mac. And by and large, the answer to that was because we use Creative Cloud, and Adobe has not updated Creative Cloud to use <laughs> any of Apple's technologies. And that is, I would say, the biggest criticism of our review, and I think it is totally fair. Yeah. We did not spend you know a bunch of time talking about how Affinity Photo runs in this thing. We didn't spend a bunch of time talking about Final Cut Pro and the Afterburner card. We gave it to people who were doing their jobs, and this is what they told us. And I think that is... It's the heart of the story. I think it is also why if you look at Apple's benchmarks that they're publishing about this computer, if you look at the sort of people they've given it to, um, around, like it's a large number of people they've given it to. They've given it to scientists. And, like, it's all people who are working inside of their ecosystems. Um, and it's what they talk about. Is the software that's optimized, to, as they should. I mean, I'm not saying they shouldn't do it. But the biggest question for any pro customer, especially in a creative field, is how well does Photoshop run? And the answer is as well as Adobe wants it to. Yeah. It's just, and there's like conspiracy theories out there over how many cores Photoshop can really address. It's somewhere between zero and 10. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Like a lot of people are like, what if it's zero? Like what if it's not doing anything? There's conspiracy theories about After Effects and like whether it's truly multi-threaded. Those arguments are raging in the comments of our YouTube video. Um, But to me, the real, the big revealing piece of this was Apple's like Catalina is built around Big ideas from Apple. It's built around Metal 2 graphics. It's built around how they want you to use multi-core processing. Yeah. And Adobe, which is the big monopoly vendor, has not adopted those ideas. And so like that's just an impasse for this computer oh. right now. And I don't think Apple can get – they can't make Adobe do it. And I think they've got to prove they've got to market people who want to use computers of this caliber before Adobe's going to shift.
4: And that's a little bit on Adobe, um, because obviously Adobe could go above and beyond to please its customers. But also, Apple chose to explicitly avoid Vulkan. And Vulkan is on Linux. Mm-hmm. Like you talked about scientists. Like if, you're, if you if you if you want to accelerate your like machine learning workload or something, it's either going to be through like a a Vulkan compute type thing or like OpenCL or NVIDIA's like CUDA or something like that, but it's probably not going to be on Metal. And for Adobe, they have to you know write all these shaders twice, once write a lot of logic twice, once for Metal for Mac and then. Either they can use DirectX for Windows or they can use Vulkan for Windows. But if Apple had adopted Vulkan, Adobe could theoretically write it once.
0: Yeah. I mean, this is also true of, like, CUDA, right? Like, you cannot plug an NVIDIA card into this computer with slots. Like, NVIDIA is not allowed to write drivers, and Apple certainly, there's no way to, like, address CUDA and have multiple GPUs going if you have NVIDIA cards. Like, there's just a lot of that going on here where a bunch of technologies that are like widespread on the PC and Linux side just don't exist mm. on the Mac. And there are replacements. Apple has built its own replacements for those ideas. But there's I, the incentives are misaligned for these cross-platform vendors.
4: Mm. And by all, and all I, indications, mm. Metal 2 is is absolutely amazing. But I was listening to, uh, like, Jonathan Blow was on this uh, poc- uh, Oxide Computer, something like that, podcast. And he was explaining, but it's wild. Like, if you think, what is an operating system for... It's to abstract across disparate hardware. But now we're in a case where you have – you could buy a computer, run three different operating systems on it, and you'd have to write – you'd write three different programs to successfully address those. So, like, the, the operating systems are, are anti-abstractions.
0: Yeah, and this was like – you know, I'm reading sort of reactions to a review. I'm reading comments uh, like – I, I want to know what people think. I, I, I care that we're doing a good job and useful. And like, I would say like the vast majority of people are like, this is a review I was waiting for because it is true that there are not a lot of like premier benchmarks of the new Mac pro in the world yet. Right. It's true that there's not a lot of reviews that have focused on creative cloud. Great. So I'm, I'm happy. We're useful. About it. And then there's another group of people, uh, smaller, it's <laughs> always more vocal group of people. That's like, why don't you test to optimize software? And Paul, I think to your point, it's like the point of this thing is to make your work go faster. Mm -hmm. It's actually, it's, it's just a faster computer. So you should be able to drop it in to what you're already doing. Not even know that the computer is different and be faster. Mm. Right? Like it, that's another layer of abstraction. Like it's still a Mac. It just has way faster components in it. You're the work that you're doing should automatically benefit. And here's a $17,000 box that should benefit you. And it, it kind of – it does and it doesn't, depending specifically on what applications you're using. Mm. Well, what if the answer is that Apple
3: doesn't expect anybody to use Adobe on this thing? Like, I know it's that's not actually true, but there's a world in which they release this computer, and they're like, this computer is for people that use Final Cut and Affinity. It's not for people that use Creative Cloud. Uh, if you want to do it, that's on you, whatever, but, like – Buy this thing, switch to our tools, switch to the things that are optimized for us, change your workflows because you, the benefits you will get out of using this computer with the stuff that's actually optimized for it is so vast that it's worth changing your tools over.
0: Yeah, I don't I don't think the benchmarks bear that
3: out. <laughs> that's the thing,
0: right? <laughs> right. Like uh, someone tweeted at me that they had built a, a $6,000 PC with a slightly faster Intel chip in it. Um, liquid cooling, so it was, and it was like almost as fast as our Mac Pro, mm-hmm. and it was obviously less than half the cost, right? We obviously also bought that Threadripper PC, which was twelve thousand dollars. It's so loud, um, but that came from a, <laughs> a workstation vendor that we use that comes with a support contract, all the stuff you need when you're running a business and at like enterprise. And that, you know that thing just blew our Mac away, like on every benchmark except premier playback benchmarks, which fine, like, sure. you know, it was close, but like the Mac was faster. Okay. But like we can get into that part. But I, to me, the, the real question is, is it so much better that you'll switch your workflow over that that could be Apple's argument? But at the same time, like, shouldn't they be trying to capture market share? Like they haven't had a product in the game for so yeah. long that they have actually lost more market share to Linux than anything else. Like, there are lots and lots of production houses now that that run Linux. There are lots and lots of production houses that have, r- like, rows of, of Windows computers that are just sort of, like, hidden away. And mm-hmm. they they think of them as appliances that happen to run these apps really fast. I think that's that they should be trying to capture that market, not trying to convince a bunch of people that they need to switch over their entire workflows. Yeah. And I think that's – you know, we had Scott Belsky on the very I really like talking to Scott. Like, that was a really fun conversation. But certainly I was like, when are you updating your software? And he was like, we're always working with Apple. At the yeah. same time, Adobe's on stage with Apple being like, here's Photoshop for the iPad. And it's like, you should work on Photoshop for the Mac a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I just think that's like, that is a tension that needs to get resolved. These are two gigantic companies that are, we know, we, we have the benchmarks now. Creative Cloud runs faster on PCs that are cheaper. Yeah. Our staff wants to work on Macs. So like, their Apple just has like a moat of familiarity, but these are companies that need to work together to, to extract the power out of this machine. There's one thing I do want to um talk about uh, very specifically, it's very in the weeds. Uh, we left this line in our video to be transparent. Um, it was Stevie from New York magazine. She said, I was working off a server on a VPN. Uh, this is probably the, the number one. Guy. Why do we include that? The VPN. So I think we got we confused people unnecessarily. So I just want to clarify. The Mac Pro was in the Verge's office connected to our network, which is a brand new network. The office yeah. is three years old. We have a SAN. So even our like video directors, they work off our SAN, our storage area network here. It's all fiber. Great. The brand new network here in the office. New York Magazine works in a brand new office. It opened like the beginning of the year. So another mm-hmm. brand new network, but it's like a few blocks away. So the VPN connection was between our corporate networks. So she was just working off of their file system. So she okay. was doing all of her work here locally on the Mac. Yeah. But the she was doing her real work. So the, the file system was over there. But it's like our fiber networks. She wasn't like VPNing through like, you know, like NordVPN in Europe to cheat Netflix. <laughs> right? Like she was just had a private connection between the two corporate networks. And she was only working in design and Photoshop. So our feeling was, all oh, that's in RAM anyway. Mm-hmm. At the same time, is it true that we could not 100% guarantee that weird corporate networking software wasn't getting in the way? We cannot. So we kept it in for transparency. I just think we confused people. There were right. people who thought that she was, like, controlling a remote desktop. Mm. And I was like, that's not what a VPN is. Yeah. So I just want to make that really clear. Like, we were comfortable with the results, but because we couldn't guarantee it, we wanted
4: to just, like, make it clear, like, it's possible. And it's not like she had a a bad experience, right? She just didn't need a speed. Her, her stuff was already going fast enough basically. Right.
0: Yeah. And I think InDesign in particular is, uh, is, uh, not good. Oh, really? <laughs> I to say. <laughs> like I, I think it, it's, it's, it's a particularly believe. chunky experience. Mm-hmm. So that was the one where it was the number, it was the number one question, question mark concern. Um, but I, I, I it wasn't that we were like, she wasn't like We'd have like a dial-up modem to the other office, right? It was like (laughs) the thing was on our fiber network, connected to their fiber network. We just needed a bridge between the two offices. And that is how a lot of people at our company work. Like Mm. the today, uh, the Vox.com team is distributed between here and D.C., uh, New York, here in D.C. Uh, Our video team is distributed in San Francisco and New York. I would say that we don't love like using the sand teeter oh my god i can't say it's like always the best experience um but it is it is legitimately a part of our workflow so we wanted to keep it in to be transparent because that's like a real thing that people do um but i don't think it was the the core
4: did you get anybody that did light up the afterburner card for any reason
0: we did we did uh we i mean uh i think alex moved the project in the final cut pro she was using 4k files that's not something she could do on her existing iMac that she uses for work. Mm-hmm. Um, it works. It, it does the thing it's supposed to.
4: do. There, there is something really compelling to me. Like it really feels. It, in a sense, it's like an admission that we're not getting as much performance from our CPUs and GPUs as we'd like to get. To make an uh, like FPGA, you're like halfway to like an application specific chip, but like. You know, if it's if it works, it works, and I just I really I really like the idea. Like you know, obviously, our, our phones now have a lot of very dedicated hardware for like machine learning and camera processing and stuff like that. I mean, it makes sense that things that you do a ton on your computer that are really demanding would have specialized hardware for. Um, and it, there's something so compelling about the idea of, of the afterburner card. But yeah, it would ha- you'd want it to light up for a lot more tasks and. Mm-hmm be broadly supported somehow.
0: The number of conversations I had is we were doing the review, as I was reporting it out, going back to Apple. Yeah, because I I don't know that everybody knows that we do this, but it is true. When we review things, we like review the products. We like write everything down that we have issues with. We go back to the company. We report that stuff out. Yep. And Apple just kept on, you know, it's programmable. And I was like, well, are you going to program it? he like, well, it is programmable. We've made no announcements about it. But you keep telling me it's programmable. Are you gonna are you gonna program it? Can Adobe program it if they wanted to? Sure, yeah. Anybody can. Why not? Apple Apple Apple's totally open. Will let anybody yeah. do anything. <laughs> I think I think I I don't know this for sure. I think you I think you do have to like use Apple's frameworks to get to it. Okay. Yeah. Right. But you can program it. I think Red has hinted very strongly that they're gonna move their stuff to Metal 2. and I think somewhere in that there's like a secondary wink wink hint that it'll light up Afterburner like. There's some stuff there. There's a lot of stuff here that is deeply related to like formats and codecs, my favorite subject, but it is like so outside the realm of what anybody, like any consumer cares about. It's like, what formats are we shooting our cameras in today? And what does that buy us in the back end? So we don't, we don't shoot in ProRes. We don't shoot in Red Raw. Like we don't do those things. So the afternoon was just not useful to us until we changed that part of our workflow too.
3: Neil, you said that codecs was your favorite subject and that's a lie. Your favorite subject is actually backlight methods
0: for displays. Do you want to talk about the display?
3: (laughs) (laughs) This display ended up being so much more um, controversial, I guess, but like fascinating and I don't know, it's not even divisive because everyone kind of agrees, but
0: it was not what I expected. It is not what I expected. You know what I, you know, you write a review and it's a little less positive than maybe everyone is expecting. And you you sort of just like wait for the wave. And yeah. So that's like here are the criticisms I know about our Mac Pro review. We've talked about them, like down the line. We issued some pretty harsh criticisms of the display and there's been no feedback at all. And I think yeah. that is super interesting. Um, I think that is partially true because uh, it's very easy to have an opinion about computing. Like we do it for hours every week on the show. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's it's much harder to have an opinion about what an expert color grader in a Hollywood film studio should use to do their job. Right. And I think that's right. There's a little bit of a gap there. The main thing I would say is so we we get the display. Uh, this is that Apple sent them out to reviewers to their credit. They're they very confident in this display. We get the display. We get the stand. Marillo, who worked in a, the color house that did Game of Thrones. He's done this for a long time like saw it instantly like 0 seconds went by and he said there's light fall off to the edge yeah. just it was the first thing he saw it was it took him seconds to see it uh Grayson who's worked on a lot of uh, like literally advertising um is our motion graphics uh director saw it instantly he's like there's light fall off to the edges I watched Marquez's review of this he pointed it out when you look off angle uh flat panels test I think is what it's called um notice light fall off quinn nelson snazzy q channel on youtube noticed light fall off to the edges it's just it's there like yeah. you just see it the light fall off comes with color shifts it's there it's, it shifts a little blue so i asked apple and they're like this is just how lcds work and the thing is it's better than most cheap lcds by far it's a, obviously a better construct it costs six thousand dollars it's better than a cheap tv like i, I assure you um yeah. but like i don't know like i've got Uh, Max's baby monitor here like you get One degree off axis the thing washes out To purple like okay it's not that bad But if you are if you are Apple and you stand on stage And you say this holds up next to a Forty three thousand dollar reference color Monitor from Sony Mm -hmm. We think it's better We think it's of course you are Inviting that comparison I think They actually just like they shifted everybody's Perception of what what this thing should do By making that comparison Mm-hmm. And they didn't make that comparison shyly. It was a very aggressive, we think we're better than this $43,000 Sony display. And the first thing that everybody saw was because of that, everyone's looking at it very closely. The,
4: the, just to, to clarify, right? So there's there's off-axis, um, which could lead to, like, at your peripheral vision, it's a big screen. So mm-hmm. just the edge of your vision, it's like video. Yeah, and you're and, always right? off-axis to this thing at a normal working distance. But... Even if you step back a bit, you see the vignetting. Now, if you step far enough back,
0: like those those angles sort of sort of
4: flatten out, right? But you have like close-up shots of the of the edge. It, like, don't you think there's something especially bad about the edge of this display? Or or, or am I am I off? No, okay.
0: I, I think it's so hard to show this stuff on a video. Mm. Like we published that photo that I, I yeah you know, I took a photo and sent it to Apple. I just took that photo on my iPhone. Like you can see it, right? That was mm-hmm. about as good of a demonstration of that as I could show. Like, in a video, which isn't, you know, like... It's like trying to show HDR in a video. Like, you yeah, just yeah. can't do it. You have to go look at it. Like, you should not look at our photos or videos of the display to judge the quality of the display. You should not do it. You should go look at it yourself, because none, no capture technology is going to ever show you what a display really looks like. Just can't be done. So you should go look at it. I, and I think some people are going to grade color on it. And I think the other part of that is... Apple did not say, oh, to do all this reference work, you actually have to shift it into these reference modes, which are only for use in controlled lighting situations calibrated to certain standards. Very dark rooms with no lights. Basically dark rooms. And the the default mode is basically like a consumer mode. Mm. And that's when most of the technology displays on. So there's light sensors front and back for True Tone. That is just for like office worker use. Yeah. Right. You switch it in that like HDR calibrated mode, like all those light sensors turn off in this thing. Cause of course, right. You can't calibrate color if the color of the display is changing. So I think there's just this like a mashup of what the technologies can do, what they're proud of, what the reality of doing that work is. And then the reason that Sony and Flanders scientific can charge $36,000, $43,000 for calibrated color displays is because those people are very, very picky. Mm-hmm. And so they those displays use a ton of power, like ridiculous amounts of power. They, they actually, some of them have themselves horrible off-axis viewing. They are, because they have dual-layer LCDs, so you literally get a weird parallax effect. You would never use Excel on them, right? Like you just, you wouldn't use that thing as your monitor. So you have this product that's way more flexible, but they made this comparison to, to this very small niche. And so now they're being held right. up against that niche. And I think that that's just an error. Like, I think Apple just, they put themselves, you know, like classic disruption theory, right? Like why did the PC take off? It's because IBM had like a mainframe business and like the PC came up and could do some of the work, but it was much cheaper. And the like the, the mainframe people were like, that's a toy. Like Apple's in that zone. Like they're in that, the, this hard curve where like very cheap LCD monitors can do the job of showing you stuff. So that that's like that part of the zone. Mm-hmm. then very very expensive color accurate monitors exist for that market. Apple's like this is better than your $200 LCD, but it's not as good as that and like it's just a weird flat part of the curve and they've like stuck this thing right in the middle of it.
3: Yeah, so like my big question is um if it if it can't be for like professional colorists, um it can be the maybe it's for shops for like the last stage is that $43,000 monitor, but like you need the best of the best uh in like the three stages before that. So maybe it fits in in that sort of workflow. Um but beyond that, um, other than people that just want to blow money on the nicest thing, like who actually is this for? What what person what person's needs will be filled by this five thousand dollar monitor that aren't filled by even
0: a thousand dollar monitor or fifteen hundred dollar monitor? Uh, people who like fancy things, yeah. I think there's a lot of those. I think um, you know Apple's argument is it's better if you have calibrated displays throughout your entire production chain. Mm-hmm. So sure. Um, I think a lot of like photo editors are going to be super interested in this thing. You know, that light fall off to the edges is like, is it the worst thing in the world that you could ever see? Like, no, if you just back it up a little bit, does it slowly go away? Like, maybe that's no. what I mean. Like you have to go look at it. Like maybe you will love it, but it is not the thing they said it was. And that's the thing that dings them. Right. And I, right. that's what I mean. It's like so hard to there. It doesn't have any competitors. So you can only review it based on the claims they've made about it. Whereas like you get a phone And like Mm. Samsung's marketing materials about the phone, like you're kind of throw, you just discard them because you have this entire, (laughs) because we have this, all this context, like, yeah, right. There's competitors, there's other companies, you know how other phones work. Like there are just very, very few competitive products one-to-one with this display. The other thing I'll say is they promise these black levels. This is now this is local dimming. I would say I got to publish, like, 2,000 words on local dimming on TheVerge.com. I'm, like, very happy. Like, why did we find TheVerge.com? So I could just, like, geek out about local dimming and, like, four people would read it. And, like, great. Like, mission accomplished. Um, <laughs> but they're, like, you know, 576 local dimming zones, blue LEDs, these custom layers, blah, blah, blah. It's still local dimming. Paul, you yeah. know, Paul, that thing you're talking about with the spinner, you can just see the zones light up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it does that. It, it does it more granularly,
4: but it definitely just, like, blooms. You're saying they should have held out for for mini LED.
0: You know, their argument is OLED is inaccurate. Dual-layer LCD sucks power and has poor viewing Mm -hmm. angles. Like, this is the future. Uh, Like, full-array local dimming like this is the future. And I, you know, I can't say that I build these displays and I can evaluate their claims that way. It sounds like a reasonable argument. It's in their white paper. You can go read that argument. It's The the Pro Display XDR white paper makes that argument in in some detail. But, yeah, maybe they should have had a lot from any LED. Maybe they should have done something different with the zones, like there's a number of ways they could have done it, or they could have just not made this claim. Mm. Right. This I keep coming back to this. Like it has a million to one contrast ratio if you use a very specific test pattern that doesn't light up the zones in a way that makes it look gray instead of black. Right. Okay. Like, sure. Is it cool they built a timing controller that runs at 10X the refresh speed of the main L C D so the zones move really fast? Yeah. Is it is it some of the best local dimming I've ever seen ever? Yes. This is a local dimming, Sure is. And I think this is this is the thing about these these two products for Apple in particular. Most of the products Apple makes, you know, there's like a billion users using them. They Cannot hide. Right. Like they say something about the iPhone. Lots of people are going to get iPhones in their hand. We're going to find out if that thing is true or not. We just are. Five people are going to buy this display. (laughs) <laughs> so they can say whatever they want about it, and like I think that's like it's a little bit risky to make these claims because when it when people do test it, yeah, they're the most picky people who are spending the most money, so they're going to be loudest about the, the gap. The good news
3: is it's such a professional display, which means that you can get it and then you'll you'll be able to configure it to the settings that you want to meet, match your workflow, <laughs> mm-hmm. right?
0: Uh, only if you use macOS Catalina, okay, and only when uh, there's a further software update. Oh, that's true. Okay. I, 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 I didn't get into Catalina with either one of these reviews because it's just like too much on top of everything else. I, I feel like, Dieter, you, you have spent more time thinking about Catalina as a version of macOS that is a huge inflection point. But it's like to use a monitor, you got to throw away all of your 32-bit apps. It's like a lot. <laughs> like and It's just a lot to put on people. right? To use a monitor, you have to upgrade your entire software suite because Catalina broke so much stuff is a lot. Mm. And I, I didn't want to, like, over emphasize it because, you know, who knows? Maybe four people are going to buy this thing. That is
4: remarkable for a display. Did Catalina pop up? Like, is it okay if this display ambient looks at the light? In your- yeah.
0: <laughs> you can't use it on Windows unless uh, you can use it on Boot Camp. Okay. They sort of hint, again, in this white paper, that if you plug it into Windows or Linux, maybe the appropriate display information will get transmitted if you have the right Thunderbolt 3, whatever, but probably, like, they're like, don't do it. Yeah. And I was like, what about older versions of macOS? And they're like, it supports Catalina. Hmm. So like, it's made for one operating system, Mac OS Catalina. Like, that's what you should use it with. Catalina is getting upgraded to let you make custom reference profiles sometime they promised it. It's on the website. Yeah, they're definitely gonna do it. Should you buy anything based on a promise? You should not. But they said that they're gonna do it. Catalina is an operating system that's like a it's like a race car that tried to
3: make a hairpin turn and it like spun out into the dirt. And it, the car isn't broken, uh, but there there are some things that are a little bit just weird now when it gets back on the road. And it is heading in the right direction, but you definitely know that the thing went
0: off went off the road there for a <laughs> yeah, minute. Yeah, it's a little dinged up. Yeah. Um, so when I was a, do uh, you want to hear a story from my youth? Absolutely. Uh, so I had a, I was a teenager with a Mustang. This is a true story. This mm-hmm. is very embarrassing. I was a teenager with a Mustang uh, and some irresponsible friends. And we, uh, we. Your friends were irresponsible. Mm. Well, I would say we we riled each other up. Okay. Long story short, one time I crashed the Mustang into a bank. <laughs> like you do. Uh, uh, like a bank, like a money bank, not like a snow bank? No, yeah, a bank. Like a, like a, the physical, we were. Drag racing and there's a corner and I this car did not it understeer. Were well, you tried to pull off a heist? <laughs> no, we were just we were literally racing home from the SAT. it's like this is a very dumb. He oh, <laughs>
4: was trying to uh, create a very elaborate analogy for an operating. He sounds like <laughs> such a badass.
0: But we were racing our like V6 cars. Like it wasn't. We weren't even going that fast. Anyway, the, the car understeered. I popped the curb, rolled into a bank, and I uh, the front end was messed up, and there was like grass stuck in it. So I drive it to the body shop and, like, I'm trying to hide it from my parents. I'm like, can you fix it? And he's like, what happened? I was like, I don't know. I came into a parking lot and uh, it's all dented up. And he was, like, looking at it. He's like, well, the front of it's covered in mud and grass. Are you sure you didn't drive it into a ditch? And I was like, I got (laughs) to (laughs) go. I'll see you later, man. Don't talk to my dad. If you
3: made that argument, if you thought that would work, Literally hours after you just taken the SAT. (laughs) Obviously, the SAT broke your brain. Yeah, it
0: was not great. The dude looked at me, he's like, I don't know, the front end is like pretty pretty screwed up. That's Catalina. That's all I'm saying is, that's Catalina. Okay.
1: (laughs) Catalina is a teenager
0: lying to the local body shop about why the front end of the car is messed up. Yeah. They had good intentions. It was going to be a great Saturday. Yeah. And then they hit a bank. Like they do. <laughs> anyway, I look, all this is to say is like, go. I had a lot of fun making these reviews. This is the worst segue in the world. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we had a lot of fun making the reviews. I'm very thankful to the people around Vox Media who helped us. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alex, our director, did an, just incredible. Like, this thing was such a puzzle. She had to get all those people to come use the computer. They had to tell her what they thought. She helped them structure those thoughts in a way that would make sense on video. Like, these are not people who look at cameras and talk a lot. It was great. She did a great job. And I'm very pleased with the feedback we've gotten to it. I think the big question for Apple is, like, you saw that result. Actually, Paul, I want to talk to you about this. We raced it against that Threadripper PC, which was much mm-hmm. cheaper. Mm-hmm. And it got smoke. destroyed. And it's like, that's the question. And there's, like, rumors of AMD support and some leaked builds of, of, of Mac OS. Like, is that coming? Could they make that
4: shift? At the same time, they're trying to, like, put a trackpad on the iPad. Like, it seems like a lot of change is brewing for Apple. Yeah, well, yeah, they're holding themselves back right now, and this is a very recent development. But now AMD is, is king of the castle, so they're holding them back themselves back by not having AMD CPU option. But then they're also holding themselves back by not having a NVIDIA GPU option. So they're they're double um, hamstr- hamstringing themselves. And it sounds like the cooling is awesome. Like if Apple wasn't being so Apple about everything, they seem to have engineered. A, d- done a lot of good engineering. It's really it's more their software support that holds this back. Like if this if this ran Linux, had AMD <laughs> inside it and an Nvidia card, it would be amazing. Paul, imagine if you could just render bitcoins on this thing. <laughs> I would love that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, 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 we have not given this thing enough compliments on the on the show. Um, it is a beautifully engineered computer. Mm-hmm. It is incredibly quiet for the amount of power it contains. Um, it is incredibly thoughtful. I love, I love that there's a USB slot inside for dongles. Like it is the no one, no one is thinking about this stuff in that way. Right. Um, I love that you can disassemble it by hand, basically one or two screws, but the screws are spring mounted. And so they don't fall out. Right. Like Mm -hmm. just deeply thoughtful, the double height MPX cards. So you don't need, uh, additional power cables and all this stuff. And Thunderbolt still works all the way. It's but like, that's like Apple stuff, like you control the whole the whole stack and the entire integration. You can invent things that are cleverer by half than anybody else can do. Mm-hmm. Then you hamstring yourself by saying you have to use metal.
4: Yeah,
0: and I think that the, those those instincts here are colliding in a way that I think is um, particularly for this market very
4: challenging. But it's true; it's a beautiful computer. Yeah, it's interesting. It's almost like you know Apple because. And people who've listened to the Vergecast know that this has been a big narrative, and, and Apple stated and they they said they were sorry, and then they were going to work on a pro computer again. But like you know, maybe their hardware you know spun up before their their software side really sp- spun up. Like maybe maybe their whole company hasn't really embraced this move yet. I don't see it that way. This is this isn't like
3: their software needs more time to catch up. This is a policy decision. Right. This is we choose not to work with NVIDIA and AMD. Um, And it's not that they're choosing not to do it because, like, they're not good enough to make the software do it. Mm. They've chosen not to for various reasons, which may or may not be rational, especially if, like, you, like, live in Apple world. But this isn't the hardware is great, the software needs to catch up. This is the hardware is great, and Apple needs to look into its soul and decide whether or not it wants to try and continue to force people to use its products like metal or play nice with others.
4: Mm.
0: Yeah, and I think the if you sort of walk around the Apple campus talking about Adobe, like you'll just hear like hissing sounds. You know, like they don't like it. They're not in love with them. That's a relationship where like it has always been tense, it's always been weird. Steve mm-hmm. Jobs used to write like open letters called Thoughts on Flash just dunking on Adobe for caring about Flash at all as a technology. Yeah. And then Adobe CTO now runs the Apple Watch. Like, there is just no love lost with these companies. I right? was always
3: baffled that they shut down Aperture, the Lightroom competitor, because I figured they'd just keep that going out of spite.
0: Yeah. And, you know, it's like why Final Cut used to work a lot like Premiere.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And then they changed it to work a lot like iMovie. <laughs> um, that's what it looks like. And that's one of those things where it's like, if you... Was well, it Oppo that put out a, a, a direct clone of the Apple Watch? yeah this week, right. One of the reasons that those products are just direct clones is because they figure you don't have to if you don't have to learn anything, your switching cost goes down and you buy the you'll buy the cheaper one like it's pretty cynical, right. Yeah. Why did Google just adopt all of Apple's swiping gesture nav because they want you to switch, yeah, they want to lower the cost of you switching to their platform, so you just pick up all the gestures and go along well, to switch from Premiere to Final Cut, you have to relearn how to edit video like who's gonna why? Because <laughs> your computer's faster. Like, because it has holes in the front of it. Like, that—that's a thing where like Apple has to really decide how much of that market they want back. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying you have to like actually le- relearn how to edit video. I'm saying like you have to learn a new interface for a complicated task. Um, and people, some people just don't want to do that. And I think that's why Premiere persists. Like it is. It is. It has lock-in in a, in a way. Photoshop has lock-in in a way. Like a lot of people like Affinity better. But there are many, many more people who just sort of show up at working at a creative crowd license. and mm-hmm. We just said Apple's just got to sort that out. We've talked about a computer that six people are going to buy for like <laughs> 45 minutes. <we> should <laughs> um, but it is a very interesting moment, I think, for Apple as a company because they have they did forget about this market for a long time. They have been trying to move people to the iPad for work. The iPad Pro and the Mac Pro are actually radically different things, but they both have the word pro in the name. And I think the future of their platforms and what people can do with them and how they work is at much more of an inflection point than I, I think we are paying that much attention to. Dieter, would you agree with that? Yeah. Well, they like they, they they
3: they're making the turn right, and then uh, and then some of them, some of them spun off the road a little bit. The iPad is due for a huge inflection point. That trackpad is coming. They tried to do that with uh, iPad OS, and I think they didn't. Now a mixing metaphors, stick the landing, you know? <laughs> um, <laughs> they didn't miss the bank. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> iPhone, I don't know, man. I think that the iPhone is just going to keep on keeping on with tiny changes in perpetuity.
0: Yeah. I think that one's fair. And that's what's the most important one for them? Yeah. And I think that you can see it, right? It's like Same thing so with there's the a Apple reason watch. to not change it because it's successful. And yeah. I think all the other ones, are they're monkeying on the edges. Yeah. Okay, let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll wrap some things up with some foldy floppy phones. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and
5: you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens. With all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge...
4: Paul Miller, Mm -hmm. every week you do a thing. And it always has the same name. It's called Take a Picture of Your Ear. Do it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Such a demanding name. (laughs) I can't believe we we say that out loud every week. I know, I know, right? Uh, So Logitech is partnered with or releasing this app called Immerse, made by Embody. A spatial audio company. And mm-hmm. the way the app works is you take a picture of your right ear and then they use AI, which stands for artificial intelligence, as I've just read in their copy, and um, machine learning to create a custom head-related transfer function profile, an HRTF. So somehow by looking at your ear Mm-hmm. they can do better spatial audio. That is the mm-hmm. claim. It sounds a little snake oily, but I want to believe. You know what I mean? What kind of input? Like, it's just a photo, right? It's a
3: photo of your right ear. Will it will it accept a wide-angle photo? Because otherwise I can't submit a photo of my ear.
4: Oh, you have yeah, large huge. ears? Yeah. Oh, interesting. I don't know. I guess, you know, ears... Ears are used for sp- <laughs> for spatial stuff, right? Yeah, I don't I don't understand very much about ears. Obviously, these people are compl- claiming to know a lot about ears, and like, because the thing is, is like, it's so hard to test something like this because if you just make things louder, they sound better to humans. So if right. you just if you just have an algorithm that turns the volume up, space like spatial stuff is becoming more and more important uh, with games. Was it? the the X, the new xbox is supposed to have audio ray tracing. Oh god. <laughs> no.
0: <But laughs> you don't, come on man.
4: <laughs> like hardware no, hardware accelerated audio ray tracing is the claim. Yeah. That's how audio works.
3: And it's also I, I also hear that the PlayStation in order to fight that it's going to have uh, audio local dimming. <laughs>
4: <laughs> I'm dying. But yeah, I hope this works. It sounds cool. It sounds fun. Good good on you, Logitech. Keep keep on innovating out there. Oh, and it's a it's a subscription plan. <laughs> of course it is. That's it. That's the verge. Your ears change shape
0: over time. That's right. Like we, can't, we can't be a part of this. It's pods for your ears. They're called ear pods. <laughs> All right. Dieter. What? Folding there's a folding phone uh, explosion. Uh, TCL...
3: Uh, we saw them show off a f- uh, folding phone uh, prototype at CES. They hinted very strongly that they had more that they were thinking about. And since they couldn't go to Mobile World Congress, they had um, Heim and a bunch of other people go visit them in New York. And, yeah, they've got a trifold uh, folding phone, which is um, – one is the you know how like there's this debate with like should a folding phone have the hinge on the inside and it folds out to a tablet or have the hinge on the outside, you know, mm-hmm. like the like Huawei does. So TCL thought, well, people think the hinge on the outside is is not very durable, so we should have a hinge on the inside. But there are some people who think the hinge on the outside makes more sense. What if we just did both? Yeah, why not they've both they've got an inside hinge and an outside hinge in one device and it folds out to, you know, a tablety thing. It's a trifold. Um, it's ridiculous.
4: It's a ten-inch it. tablet that folds yeah. into the footprint of a phone, but something that's also three times as thick as a phone. Yeah, it's three times <laughs> thick. Um, and then they have a
3: paper-based prototype of their uh, sliding phone that we talked about. And the way it works is it like the the screen kind of like rolls underneath, like a like it's a pirate map, right? Like it kind of it, you 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 shove you you shove the thing closed, and the screen like rolls up as you close it, and then it unrolls as you pull it out.
4: But it doesn't. It doesn't furl. It's not. No, it doesn't furl. It's not a full furl. It, yeah. it just it, it tucks into the back. It's sliding around the back.
3: Yeah. But oh, under, this is
4: more or less what you guessed, right? Yes. This was my guess. As people have noted on Twitter, and I'm really mm-hmm. grateful for that, I was right. <laughs> Although, right. Yeah. I actually thought that the way this would work is that the screen would be visible on the back. It seems like it could be. I don't know really why, but it goes inside like a pocket.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That inside like a pocket terrifies me. I got to be honest with you. Oh, everything! Everything about all of these
4: concepts is, is like just damaged city. Like, okay, I I feel like there's less that can go wrong with this because yes, inside like a pocket, yeah, maybe you get dust in there or something like that. But there's there is no hinge, so in a sense, like that, while the screen is flexible, it's flexing around a, ra- a rather static edge. If that makes yeah. sense, mm. so like it
0: is, but but like it's moving.
4: It is moving. Like the
0: screen is physically either moving against a protective layer,
4: uh-huh.
0: right? Because that's how you would seal the edge where it goes in.
4: Mm. Yeah.
0: Like you would just wrap the whole thing in, in plastic in some way. I doubt you can do that. Or that edge is, has a gap and mm. like stuff will get in
4: there and then you'll be, you'll, it'll unfurl and like just destroy itself. Mm, I see you know what? I had not considered that. the The good news for TCL is that there's no screen because this is made out of paper <laughs> <laughs> the, the 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 trifold is a real con like a, a working concept with software and a real screen, but the 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 the, the, the slide out is uh, is is just a paper mockup right now.
3: So, meanwhile, uh, Vivo uh, has the Apex 2020, which is another concept. Uh, it's basically the stuff we've sort of seen. The screen wraps around the sides of the phone, doesn't go all the way around to the back. And then they've got a selfie camera underneath the screen, uh, so there's no notch and there's no hole. Uh, it looks, you know, it looks fine. I mean, it looks great, obviously, but, I mean, it looks fine. I, I don't know what else to say about this concept phone. Um, and then Marquez Brownlee uh, uh, was him and one other, I think one other person got to look at the Xiaomi Mi Mix Alpha, which is the screen wraps all the way around the phone, uh, almost like completely. There's just one strip on the back for like uh, for the camera modules. It's so beautiful. Um, it looks dope. It <laughs> it it looks like it would shatter if I just sneezed at it, <laughs> um, but it looks pretty dope. And like, You've got a full, L, full panel. See, you got a full OLED screen right next to the rear cameras. So you, like, to take a selfie, you just turn the thing around, and you've got a viewfinder right there. Right.
4: Yeah. It can't have like the metal band for uh, external metal band for reinforcement. So that's Correct. like the the fear. There's many things
3: to fear with this phone. Like the power button, I think is like they might have it like on the top, and then they've got like virtual buttons on the side mm. and on the screen. Although I miss power button on the top. Back in the day, all smartphones had a power button on the
0: top. Yeah, because they were small enough to fit in your hand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this moment we're in where the technology is clearly not ready or durable or practical. Yeah. But everyone's just inspired to yeah. make silly shapes yep. is the best. It's so much fun. Like, there's no downside to being like, we made one out of paper. Yeah. Imagine what the future could be. Because it's just fun. And no one's trying to sell anything. Yeah. Except for Motorola which is a real a real mess on their part. Um, but it's clear, like a bunch of designers are like revving the engines for when the, the tech actually is here. Yeah. it's uh, Someone tweeted a thread of like bad Nokia designs. Engage. Like the Engage. There was that one that was like a circle with corners. Yep. Like it was a circle to It and all the, the keys were like around a screen. Like, Nokia just went they crazy made, for a while. They
4: made all those. Those weren't They concepts. made them.
0: They
3: shipped them. They're like, here they are. There was one that was basically like a lipstick case, and you could like like
0: slide it out. I mean, that was when Nokia, uh, I mean, like, the, the, the phone, the internals and the software were basically the same across every phone, so the only way to differentiate all the models they had to make for all the carriers was like, this one has stripes. Yeah. Okay. Um, but it led them to just like wild heights of industrial design, most of which was impractical and bad. The engage, gauge, but like we're sort of like it's I love here the N gauge. It was side talking. You had to hold it against your head like a taco. <laughs> I want to. So here's good. what I said Wild heights of industrial design, most of which was bad, like the engage. gauge. And then you said, I love the engage." gauge. To talk on it, you had to hold it to your head like a taco.
4: Yeah. Those are the same ideas. You also play Tony Hawk Pro Skater, though. Uh, I don't, I don't want to. Um, that was one of the most powerful phones that existed at that time. It was so powerful that the only way you could talk on it as a phone <laughs> was to hold
0: it on its side.
4: So <laughs> I I get why T- TCL would want to like uh, show off a paper phone mock-up. But isn't mm-hmm. it incredibly expensive to make this trifold mock-up unless you're actually making the trifold phone?
3: No, I mean, yes and no. They're not like that that's the sunk cost they're willing to take. I mean, they don't necessarily have to make this thing. They might because they're TCL and who knows. Mm. Uh, But TCL's whole jam right now is they want to sell phones under the TCL brand. They're releasing phones. They announced them at CES that are, you know, flagship 2020 specs. We'll see how the cameras are on it, obviously. But they want to get them on U.S. carriers. Um, So, like, they're making a big push for you to, like, want to buy TCL phone. Um, Mm. I think they're basically, like... They just see that LG has, like, no chance of anybody caring about them anymore. Like, what if we took that spot? I think that's, that's what their they're, they're thinking is. Oh. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, like, they're but, happy to make these concepts all the live long day if it just makes you remember, oh, yeah, TCL, I heard of them once because you're going to start seeing TCL phones in the store, and so they need the brand to be credible. They have gotten
4: my attention. Good job, yeah. TCL.
0: And in the store, they won't be made out of paper. Yeah. <laughs> that will be great. Uh, Dieter, a little bit of Pixel news, and then we should wrap this thing up. Uh, so uh,
3: Google did another one of its uh, feature drops, which is what they're called now. Um, and okay. this time they they actually like dropped the features when they said they would. Instead of like doling them out over the course of like a month and a half, they managed to get updates out to a, a lot of Pixel users on time. Um, and there's just a bunch of really neat Googly features. So there's stuff that... Uh, there's car crash detection, which is great. So if you it detects you're in a car crash through magic and machine learning and whatever, it can like call for help. It has uh, dark theme scheduling, which it finally should do. It has the new emojis, uh, you know, other stuff. Um, they have added. The ability to put a boarding pass into Google Pay, whether or not your airline supports it. Uh, I have wrote in the newsletter that like virtually nobody did. That was a little bit mean. A bunch of airlines do internationally. Here in the U.S., it's pretty hard to get Google Pay support, whereas everybody supports Apple Wallet. Anyway, so that's cool. So you take a screenshot, and then Google Pay is like, oh, hey, you've got a boarding pass here. And then it will save the QR code, and then it will know what the flight is, and then Google Assistant will start giving you flight updates for it.
4: This is a That's big thing cool. I missed from uh, iPhone. Like, I've, it's pretty well integrated on iPhone, and it's pretty slick. It's pretty. It's pretty. And then the other thing they do is they like, they they change the if you long
3: press the power button now it brings up your power button options at the bottom and then Google Pay cards at the top. So it's like it's easier to get to than it used to be. To mm. um, it's easier then, to get
0: to, but that is one of those like solutions that it's such a half like here's a single screen on which you can pay for stuff and turn off your phone
3: mm-hmm.
0: is not, I don't think that was on anyone's like UI roadmap. No. I mean, Samsung pay
3: uh, on a on a Galaxy phone is, what if uh, any time you swiped up anywhere ever, it brought up Samsung pay half the time. <laughs> 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 and the other half, it does like actual OS stuff. That's what Samsung pay is. It's like, ah. Uh... And then the other thing that they did that I think is just, perfect Google, I wrote about this in the newsletter, is uh, they wanted to make it faster to get to, like, long press menus. Uh, so, you know, you long press a thing, and then a menu pops up. Uh, and so they wrote a machine learning algorithm to see how hard you're pressing just by detecting, like, how your finger smushes on the screen over time. So they basically replicated 3D Touch without needing a special hardware layer.
0: No, they, it's, it's the same as the Apple one, right? Because there's no 3D Touch on the 11, on the 11 Pro.
3: Yeah, they they just switch to long presses, and Google's like, we can do long presses. We don't need special hardware, and we can do long presses faster because we can detect how hard you're pressing on the screen by looking at you know the rate of smush as like different <laughs> capacitive oh, sensors get lit up by how hard how hard and how quickly you press.
0: Okay, I buy it. It's clever. Do you have it yet?
3: Yeah, it uh, it's a little inconsistent, but it doesn't matter because it, you're not allowed to do unique things with it. So oh, so it's so just a faster long press. It's a faster long press. I see. It's a shorter, longer press. <laughs> it's a shorter, I, long
0: press. I have missed 3D Touch far more than I ever anticipated.
3: Yeah. Uh, the the number of people that, like, get angry when I'm dismissive of 3D Touch always blows me away. I just am like, it's nah. Like, the two things that are useful with it are... Those little pop up previews, which you can still do with long press, and like i I always found them like infuriating because you never really knew what they were going to do, and then um accessing the cursor with the keyboard, which you can still do with a long press on the spacebar, and I know that it's not as like instant as like hard pressing, but uh sorry for your luck, I'd rather have the battery life
0: yeah, I'm not saying like I wake up every day morning three d touch mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean that's how maybe like, you do though. No, that's like you, a just feel like you just feel a, a tinge now and then. <laughs> yeah, it's like a it's like a wistful longing for times you know, I was like yeah. innocent then. Like I wrote the entire review of the of like the iPhone 6S. It was like all about 3D touch. Right. That was their feature. Mm. Yeah. And like like many Apple reviews it ended with this will be great when developers support it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a real theme of the situation. Uh, uh all right, good job. Good job, yeah. Google. Okay. <laughs> I think we we're
3: out. I think that's enough. Unless you want to make fun of Samsung TV branding again, they they launched some new QLEDs. But
0: can I just read it to you? Yeah. So so Samsung is like it's it's this is a thing that happens, right? They they show us all the TVs at uh, uh, CS, and then they officially launch them with like prices and dates and blah blah blah. Okay, so they're out. They're QLEDs. They've got a whole uh, whole line at the very top end. They've got an OLED. Okay, what's the big feature for TVs this year? Paul, you're excited about this. Variable refresh rate. Stoked. Yeah. Right? The new the two new consoles are gonna have variable refresh rate. It's great. It solves so many problems. Here's what Samsung has decided to brand variable refresh rate. You ready for this? Real game enhancer plus. What
4: it's so Mm. good! It's so high quality. Wait. Good job, Samsung. Thank game you. <laughs> Enhancer.
3: I get that. Like, you can't just call it Game Enhancer because who knows what that means, right? Like, <laughs> maybe you're ah. just like you're screwing with the colors. Like, Game Enhancer on the Galaxy phones is like the worst nightmare ever. You can't get rid of it, so you got to call it Game Enhancer Plus. Like, I'm, I'm with, I'm with them there. The Plus wait, should be wh- there.
0: Wait, wait, wait.
3: No, because you need to differentiate it from the other other kinds of Game Enhancers it could possibly
0: could, be. So your wait, just to. Your theory is that so many people are familiar with Game Enhancer on Samsung phones that they will they will bring over that knowledge to their Samsung television. Yeah, well, because be just, confused. Just I actually don't know if it's called Game Enhancer on Samsung. <laughs> so, okay, phones. so first, like <laughs> step one.
3: <laughs> I what I'm, the point is that I'm granting them the plus. They can have the plus. Uh huh. Mm. Why real? What is, is it a real game? Is it a real enhancer or is it a real plus? What is the real affecting and where what, what
0: would be fake in, in this world in this context? Every time we do a story about like fixing your TV settings, like how uh-huh. to turn off uh, uh, uh motion smoothing, uh-huh. like half of the story is like, here's Samsung's dumb name for the feature, here's yeah. LG's mm-hmm. dumb name for the feature, and it's like, how did we end up in this place? They had a meeting. They had a meeting where they named it something in Korean and they had a meeting where they named it something in English and then in, in Spanish. You know, like they had to localize the name, they ship it all around the world. Yeah. Dozens, if not hundreds of people have encountered the phrase real game enhancer plus in dozens, mm. if not hundreds of languages. And they're all like, yeah, that's fine. Yep. I don't, it's, this company is absolutely it. If anyone works at Samsung <laughs> would just like to let me just like run around and see how it works for a while. I would, I would just, I'd be so happy.
4: I have two quick points to make. One is, I think I already mentioned this, but uh, on a different episode. But um, the new uh, the HDMI 2.1, it sounds like they'll have like a mode. It will negotiate game mode for you. It will ask Mm -hmm. your television go into low latency, go into your real game mode (laughs) or whatever. Do you think that? Do you think that the Xbox will like? The Xbox
3: plugs in over HDMI 2.1 to a Samsung TV, and Xbox says, "Hey TV," and Samsung says, "Hey Xbox," and Xbox says, "Hey, can you turn on that game mode?" And Samsung's like, "Which one?" I was <laughs> <Xbox's laughs> like, "I'm not sure. What do you call it?" And Samsung is like, "You know, we, I call it Real Game Enhanced
0: Plus." And it's like
3: so embarrassed, it just shuts off. Mm. It's yeah. just, like, this can't. is
0: like instead of doing the neg- like the, the link negotiation using like binary or hex, it's actually yeah. just like Bixby is talking to Cortana in natural language <laughs> and like they feel shame. That's how the new, that's how HDMI 2.1 works as far as I'm aware.
4: My, my second point is that time is an illusion and therefore variable refresh rate is probably closer to reality. I mean, it's happening.
0: Like you, you, you can, you're going to be able to buy the TVs this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You'll be able to buy the consoles. and like, like it's here. It's, it's, I mean, it's actually, we have not talked about it enough. It is very, it is, it is one of those things that no one will pay attention to because it's so nerdy, but we'll actually make everything from like smart TV interfaces to video games a thousand times better. And we'll do that for 45 minutes on the Vergecast coming up next week. Because uh, <laughs> we are like at <laughs> an hour and 40 right now. Dieter, you've, you've got S20 review next week, right? The regular? I do. Uh, we're shooting it uh, this week and uh, it'll be up next week. So we'll, we'll be back with that next week. Like I said, at the top of the show on Tuesday, uh, Nicole and Liz are joining me in an interview episode to go deep on coronavirus. That is the biggest story. It is... Uh, rather, unfortunately, not uh, local dimming on, on LCD TVs. The biggest story in the world is coronavirus. So look for that on Tuesday. We'll be back next week with the chat show. It's, just, it's, it's a busy time, and all of us are stuck at home. So we got nothing to do but uh, come up with spicy takes for the website. So uh, keep paying attention to com. That's it. Rock and roll. Paul. Promo code.